there it is hello everyone welcome to a reason for hope I'm glad you are joining us today for another hour of your bible questions we are live with you on multiple platforms i'll be going over those in just a moment so you know the different ways you can be joining us and sending in your questions on the bible that's what we are about here at a reason for hope you can send in your bible questions could be a question on a verse or passage of scripture that you'd like explained a bit more maybe you're walking through a circumstance trying to make a decision in your life you want to honor god with that you want to know what the bible says about your circumstances uh, it could be a question along those lines maybe even you could be a seeker and have a question about christianity um, what it's all about maybe even other religions and worldviews as they relate to christianity any question that you have that we can answer from uh, god's word the bible that's what we're here to do for the next hour and once again we are live so we appreciate you sending your questions today my name is dave robson i'll be your host i'll be on all those platforms with you and once again i'll go over those in just a moment with us today we have pastor bo willett and pastor sean richards how are you guys doing good it's good to see you both yeah it's been a couple couple months for me has it i think so wow Wow. Ooh. I know, maybe just a couple of Tuesdays. Maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah. A couple of weeks, like couple a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't yeah. know. Seems well, like it's been a while. It does seem like it's been a while. But, but it's good to be uh, on the show. Yeah. And we had that Christmas break too and all that good stuff. It's yeah. good to have you. How yeah. you doing, Sean? I know you're under the weather. You're feeling good, raring to go. Yeah. My uh, roommate came down with something and I caught it about three days later. But the good news is, as I watched it progress and resolve with him, I'm exactly on schedule to be a hundred percent soon. So here yeah. we are. <laughs> it hey, is nice. I, I consider you absolutely better because I took a picture of you drinking from a shofar yep. in the office. Yep, my meat horn. So you you must be you must be doing <laughs> you okay. Must be doing okay. That may have been where you caught the disease from. I don't know, but <laughs> no, I know where I got it. <laughs> it is nice when you catch it from someone else because, like you say, you can uh, you can interview them about uh, the the path that it took. But oh yeah, there it is. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if we can see it. To those who are listening on the radio, I am of. Uh, nordic origin a lot of dutch and swedish in me and so i thought it appropriate especially since i've had several formal debates with norse pagans to uh come around the table with a nice horn of mead so i got an ivory horn for drinking yeah. I, I put water in it of course I was say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure if we allow drinking alcohol but, uh, <laughs> but it looks great when you're walking around the uh, the church office with this filling horn it up with a water yeah. bottle He's drinking yeah from. you just can't put it down because it's uh you know pointy at the bottom so you have to finish in one sitting i guess but i got a holder you got a holder oh let me think of everything uh, my goodness well the younger generation <laughs> Let's move swiftly on. As I mentioned, a reason for hope. Um, it's a, a live broadcast. We are with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Here in Tucson, Arizona. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. If you are looking for somewhere to fellowship, to get in the Word and worship, then uh, you're more than welcome to come and join us. We're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. And we have services on Sunday at 9, 11 a.m. and a Wednesday evening, 6.30 p.m. We're a Calvary Chapel Church. We teach through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And uh, so please come check us out, or you can check out our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and find uh, more information there as well. If you go to that Watch Live tab, that will take you to our live page. This is great for you, those of you who uh, boycott uh, social media or just not on social media. Our website is our website so we have the most control over that 
So the Watch Live tab there at calvarychristianfellowship.com will take you to our live page. We're streaming live there. As we speak, I had a, a bit of a, a horror moment as I went to set up, turn on all the equipment that we weren't encoding and streaming, and I had to reset some of the equipment, and it worked just fine. But <laughs> for a moment, it's like, ah, oh, well, see you tomorrow, y'all. But no, nope, <laughs> we're here. Praise the Lord. Um, streaming live. You can sign in with a username <clears throat> and uh, send your question in. Like I say, I'll be right there with you. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event. You'll see a, a schedule of upcoming events as well we try and stream a lot of things that we do here so do check that out you can go directly there ccftucson.online.church just literally type that into your browser ccftucson.online.church or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com take it to the same place we're on facebook as well facebook.com slash ccftucson or just search for calvary christian fellowship on tucson i updated my screenshot there with the new service times and our senior pastor scott richards right there as well um, don't forget to like and share and all that good Facebook stuff and you can send your question in through the chat function there attached to the video. We have an app for your mobile device and a, a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you go to your channel store, if you have Roku or Apple TV, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or in your app store, look for again Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and download our app. You can watch us on your mobile device and there's uh, archived messages there and upcoming events and all kinds of goodies for you there as well. Uh, we're on YouTube Live. A Reason for Hope is the channel name on YouTube, A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Uh, whenever we've been live, it archives automatically, which is nice. If you go to that Live tab, you'll see all the past videos, and we upload questions of the week and some other content as well. So A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and all that good stuff as well. Click on the notification bell if you'd like to get prompted when we're live. All those things. Uh, Scott Richards, our senior pastor here, is on Twitter, or X as they're branding themselves at the moment. Scott Arthur H is his handle, Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He posts uh, a lot of things that are certainly going on at the moment in Israel and in the Middle East. Um, he posts uh, just commentary on that, how it relates to end times, biblical prophecy, and all those kind of things. So I, got, like to... I got to sign up for X. You got to sign up for X. Yeah, because uh, I w I would love to see what uh, Scott's kind of doing on yeah. there. Yeah, I'm not really on on Twitter. I never have really been on Twitter too much. But I, I was years ago, but yeah, I, uh, it might be something to get on. Yeah, are they still yeah. calling it Twitter? Or are they literally? Calling I think it's it just X. X. I've just heard X. people just say X. Yeah, yeah. The platform formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, something like that. But yeah. Well, there you go. Anyway, whatever it is, Scott's there. <laughs> Follow along. I know he posts. Uh, I think every day, multiple times a day, perhaps. So probably a pretty, you know, direct way to keep in touch with him. He's uh, not we're here. He'll be uploading <laughs> summaries of the questions as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he does. He watches the show when he's not here and makes posts as well. Um, we're on Rumble. It's a newer, uh, relatively newer platform. Um, we're not live on, on Rumble, but uh, we post video archive there. Reason for Hope Bible Q&A if you're on the Rumble platform. <clears throat> and our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to send a question there as well. I haven't checked that today yet. I should get on that. Um, welcome if you listen to us on the radio as well. Drive safely out there if you're in Tucson. It seems to be a little cray-cray at the moment with all the construction going on on the freeway. So do drive safely as you listen along. And keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live on the radio 
so to speak, but use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com when it's safe to do so, and we'll get to that question yeah, next absolutely. show. Shout out to everybody at Reach Radio. Yeah. Man, what an awesome crew that is. Yeah, and thanks for having us on there. Yeah, our friends over at Calvary uh, Tucson, Calvary Chapel Tucson. Well, with all that being said, I know we have a couple of questions lined up. Please do, once again, send your questions in. Um, any question you have, any honest question that we can answer from the Bible, send them in on those platforms. I'll be checking those in just a moment. But why don't we pause to pray? Yes. Ask for the Lord's blessing. Bo, would you like to do that? Yes. Yes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would use us powerfully. Um, and we ask that you be glorified. Uh, through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, had a question from G. Uh, why did God create so much diversity in race? Why did God create so much diversity in race? Well, he didn't create the term race. That's a Darwinian naturalistic term. Uh, when it comes to diversities within nations, obviously it was his intent from the beginning. When we read Genesis chapter 11, I believe it is, uh, the unification of all nations to build a tower in the heavens was not only an act that was against God's direct instructions to fill the earth, to uh, subdue it, to literally bring it under your authority, was something that he intended and something that would have resulted in what we call today race, or as what it actually is, structurally adapting to certain environments and producing and giving opportunity for various cultures to show their strengths and weaknesses. When we see in the beginning that God's intention was for us to fill the earth, we see obviously there's no sin in that, and obviously in the new creation, when the nations, plural, in Revelation 20 and 21, or 21 and 22 rather, are recognized, they also have glory. So when it comes to these sort of details, uh, people who are comfortable, familiar, they find trust in the things that they can quote-unquote control, the mindset of, I don't trust foreigners, I don't trust those outside of my tribe, that's not a biblical mindset. While it may be an emotionally quote-unquote justified one, we need to be very sensitive to the mindset that because someone appears or is a different social background or even a different ethnic background than us, that that is something that should be regarded. It's not a biblically supported one. The book of Galatians, as well as others, we're told that there is neither Jew nor Greek, which is noting two very different ethnic perspectives regarding the, uh, I guess, national mindset Israel had of saying that there's the noblest of those in a relationship with God and those the farthest from him as far as their mindset. They're as pagan as they come. That would be the Greek. There would be neither barbarian nor Scythian. This is the idea of the noble versus the savage, people who didn't speak Greek and people who didn't recognize any sort of moral barriers. The Scythians were a brutal people. And then, of course, neither male nor female neither slave nor free, not even gender distinctions, or, of course, any social distinctions either. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So our unity is a spiritual one. The diversity, then, is something that we can recognize as having, as I said before, strengths and weaknesses, something that God recognizes as good if we understand them in light of the purpose we were created for. If instead we look at, and this is an example, uh, the 
glories of the nations. We had an opportunity to travel to Central America and the country of Belize, and they have these magnificent uh, pyramids and uh, a lot of dark history behind them. And in that, you see the fractured image of God. These Aztecs and these Incans and Mayans and all of these groups that we call as Native Americans were so sophisticated in their construction techniques that it baffles the mind of anything that we know how to do today. And the fact that they didn't have construction equipment and so forth, they were able to build this out of sheer manpower and planning shows that they had a lot going for them that other cultures didn't. They were also very skilled surgeons in their techniques. The problem is what they used it for is the issue. So when we look at any other nation, we look at the Shinto laws and uh, the Bushido code and how that resulted in a lot of oppression throughout the ages, you also see a lot of regard for fathers and mothers and those in authority. There are positives and there are negatives. When we look at the new creation and we see something beautiful, we don't just see one, you know, homogenous, I think is the word, uh, people group where everyone can get along because everyone's the same. No, God created mankind for the purpose of exhibiting all of his attributes. And of course, just like the church, the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, is of many members for one purpose. So humankind was created by God with the intention of having many gifts, but to ultimately accomplish one thing, and that is to bring God glory, to show his worth or weight. So when we see again, the nations that get it right in some ways and others that don't, we do ourselves a disservice by dismissing the positives and failing to learn from the things that they have taken to heart, meanwhile also failing to utilize the strengths that we have, and also justifying the weaknesses we have as well that'd be just as sinful. God's not against adversity. The problem is when atheistic and nihilistic worldviews come to treat it as a way of lording over each other. One is superior to the other because it has different gifts. The biblical view is that we are all united in common purpose, but intentionally created with a diverse identity appearance, and that is on purpose. Yeah, I I would just maybe add one thing, is that when you read the Psalms, um, you'll find that uh, one of the reasons why God is praised um, in the book of Psalms is that God is an artist, and he's talked about as a creator. And just as an artist loves to create and loves to express through the various art of creating, whether it's music or whether it's painting or sculpting or, or foil, <laughs> for that matter, Sean does a lot of foil art. God is the great artist. God is a great creator. God loves, as, as Sean said, he loves diversity because it's beautiful. Um, it's unfortunately that, uh, unfortunate that we can't see it that way on this planet very well. The, the world has uh, lost its way yeah. uh, when it comes to the diversity of people groups. Right. And that's the better way to, I think, put it uh, for the listener, G., is not to talk about race, because race in its origin is a very loaded word. Um, uh, but we're, we're, I think what you're referring to is just people groups. Yeah. You know, and when you read the Bible, uh, especially in the book of Acts, chapter 17, it says that from one man God created, he made every nation of men, our people, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yes. So God creates from one, and within that one 
is everybody else, uh, the variations of yeah. all all of us humans. Right. You know, come from one one man, one woman. Yeah. And it's neat that God created us that way to mm -hmm. be able to adapt to the 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 snow or adapt to the sun and have a variation again because humans are fallen we've taken those differences and we've uh, walked in a lot of fear and insecurity yep. and which has created a lot of hatred right you know and it still is to this day yep. right now yep. happening in the world absolutely so um yeah yeah i remember back in um back in england years ago i've been here for about 20 years now but um it was when uh some of the uh, like positive positive discrimination i guess they were calling it started to happen where you had to employ a, a certain amount of different you know race diversity, groups hierarchy, and people yeah. yeah diversity people with disabilities and stuff like that and it became very awkward because it no longer just became you know the content of someone's character or whatever it was like we have to fit, check the boxes and yeah it just became i remember it started to be very uncomfortable and you couldn't really you know, just be natural with people and they, they became a race, you know, they mm -hmm, became yeah. in, in, a, in an effort to not be racist, you became more aware of their race because <laughs> you had to employ a certain yeah. amount, but you know, and it well, was you had to treat them as a superior being and that's where the right. nihilistic worldview comes from. The problem with the diversity hire and why that would be antithetical to the Christian view is because in the case of hiring people, not on the basis of ability or competence, but on the basis of having everyone represented is to undermine the fact that certain groups, certain individuals, notice I use that term interchangeably, groups and individuals can have talents and gifts in certain areas, but to say that every group must occupy the same role and every group must occupy the same ability is yeah. to undermine their strengths right. and to demean or in many cases exacerbate their weaknesses. So we don't seek to justify the weakness and say, no, they do have a strength that's better than you because they can fulfill every role. No, you can't. I can't. Yep. There are things that we can and can't do. And if you force people into roles that they can't, it only, like you said, Dave, draws attention to those weaknesses and makes them feel inferior yep. in the name of presenting them as superior. And you create yep. a paradox. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, well, thanks for that question. Uh, Not a Bible G. point, but just saying diversity hiring is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, thank you for that, and uh, it's definitely an interesting thing to discuss. I have another question uh, from someone who wants to remain anonymous. Um, uh, they ask, uh, as Christians, we are called to have compassion for others, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to forgive those who have hurt us. I was sexually assaulted as a boy by family members. As an adult in the military, age 19, I was assaulted by a trusted fellow soldier who was a roommate and intoxicated. I no longer have nightmares about these events, but it has affected me tremendously in my everyday relationships and how I look upon others who have chosen uh, a homosexual lifestyle. How do I deal with this today? I have asked God in prayer to let me be free of this unbiblical attitude towards others' choices, and I am also a sinner and need forgiveness every day. What does the Bible say? It's obviously very difficult things to navigate, but mm. what is a biblical attitude towards these things maybe? seeking greater healing for this person yeah it, what a great question um i think you're you're handling it really well with um taking it to the lord in prayer i mean the bible says to um 
you know, that we should be praying and we should be bringing things before the Lord. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's like, you know, the Bible makes it really clear what God's will is for us in the book of Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, let me turn there and read it. Uh, sometimes we assume everybody knows these verses that we're going to, um, but that's not always the case. But uh, verse 3 says, this is the will of God, or this is God's will, that you should abstain, or that you should be sanctified, that you should abstain or avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Uh, the Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So we see that God's will for sure is our sanctification. It's to walk in God's ways when it comes to our sexual lives. And it sounds like you know that. And uh, it sounds like, though, that you're doing what everybody else is doing, and that is we all are having to work through the struggle of our fallen nature that is spoken about in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. So in that book, and you might be familiar with this passage, you might not, so I'm going to read it just to make sure that, or uh, chapter 5, sorry, but it says... Um, it says, for the sinful nature, this is verse 17 of chapter 5, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then it continues. You're battling... And everybody on this planet should be battling, if you're a Christian, you should be battling sexual, lustful deviancies, thing, your, your inclinations that go astray. That should be, it shouldn't be, like what you just said in your question is what everybody should be battling in the Christian life. Um, I have never met a Christian who does not um, have to battle uh, lustful, sexual lustful inclinations that go astray. Mm. Um, I've never met a Christian that says, man, you know, I've never, I don't, I just have no sexual lust at all. Mm. None, like none at all. Um, me, I've never met him. I mean, it's only been what, 36, 38 years of my Christian <laughs> life, but, um, maybe they're out there, but, uh, you know, you battle it in prayer, you battle it in the word of God, you battle it with the church in in the fellowship of the saints so you get involved with other brothers that can uh be with you help you work on things uh alongside you um you know we have a word called accountability i like to point people to the book of numbers and say the book of numbers is one giant book of accountability because <laughs> some people mm. go i don't see accountability in the bible oh no it's there it's mm. a whole book <laughs> that's why it's also called the book of grumblings <laughs> that's mm. right yeah because you know they don't want to be accountable to god you know but um so you're you know you're doing the right thing um we all have pasts and we all have backgrounds and and some people have backgrounds to where they shut off the sexual desire and they do it that way, which is wrong as well. 
So some people do it where they shut off their sexual desire because of something that happened in the past, mm. but now they're not actually, they're not using their sexuality in the proper way, right. maybe in their marriage, if that makes sense. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, they just, yeah, hopefully, because they've just shut it down. Yeah. You know, or some people shut it down so much in their life where they, they, they don't know anymore how to battle it. You know what I mean? They yeah. just have shut it down. It's like, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to be with anybody. And they just kind of, man, just shut it down. Yeah. Like, that. And well, I, like you say, that's the most common thing I see that in marriage, yeah. people don't know how to have a, a holy, <laughs> right. God-honoring yeah. sexual experience because they haven't had that right you know it's been it's been distorted and, and so perverted I, and, yeah, yeah and i bring that up just the variations of whether you're in marriage or you're not in marriage just to to make it clear that everybody's got to work through you know how to bring their bodily appetites um in submission to god yeah. um and that's why the scriptures uh to me i look at first peter chapter 4 verse 10 and 11 where it talks about the body uh, us together is the manifold grace of God, meaning God's graces are seen through the body of Christ, through the various giftedness that the Spirit has bestowed upon people, members in the church, and they are for our benefit. So, you know, you have an urge to go more of a homosexual route. You maybe were molested when you were a child. Uh, that's happened to a lot of us mm -hmm. in our life. And some have moved into a same-sex attraction, maybe because of that. Some haven't. Some have gone totally the other way hmm. and stayed very much within a um, uh, heterosexual paradigm, you know, um, man-woman paradigm, but have just gone astray in that way. Hmm. And so um, it, it, it's, it, the issue always is, lust. And this is why in the book of Peter, if you read the book of Peter, you'll see these interesting statements that Peter makes. Abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul, right? He doesn't say, hey, you know what? We all have these different backgrounds. And he doesn't really get into the, all the, the minutia of the psychology of it all. Two arms, two legs ahead. All right, we got a problem. <laughs> That's right. Two arms, two legs. We got a problem. That's right. And, and that is we have a lustful inclination it, it goes in different directions. The answer always is to, as Jesus says in our in, in teaching us to pray, right? We are to come to God, ask God for forgiveness of sins, do what the psalmist does all the time, King David, change my heart, O God. Don't let me walk in this way. I was just reading Psalm 142 today where he's just <clears throat> saying, don't let me walk in this way. Don't have me go in the way of the evil person's delicacies, he says. Mm. <laughs> you know, and uh, I just I'd laugh at that because I kind of go, oh, I know what he's talking yeah. about. I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was and, something he struggled with till the day of his death. That's right. He struggled with lust till the mm. day of his death. So, yeah, absolutely. And he's not alone. So you're not alone. You know, uh, you're not alone. We're all with you on in, in the body of Christ. We are all in the body of Christ to work on this together um, and to bring our vulnerabilities. Yeah, we can talk about our past, but there comes a time where we have to, Isaiah 43, 18 it, forget the former things, yeah. don't dwell on the past. I have a crazy past when it comes to sexuality from the time I was a little kid. Unbelievable. Uh, I would never share a lot of it. 
it's just weird and whatever people yeah. just trip out but um but it, it's the bible says the same thing to anybody you know it's we have lust that wars against the soul i need to be aware of that i need to bring it to the lord um every day of my life uh, i am in a, a monogamous heterosexual marriage mm. i have been for over 30 years but that's no guarantee that your lustful inclination is going to just like stop. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so you have to constantly work on it. That's why we have a group tonight that we go to and we talk about these things. And you're certainly welcome to join us, you know, and that's at uh, six o'clock here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Yep. And that's a group for men that uh, just want to get together, study the Word of God together, mm -hmm. look into the Word of God together. So it's more of a in-the-Word-of-God meeting. Uh, but the topic is always going to be wrapped around our sexuality, sensuality, yeah. you know, and sex. Yeah. You what know, a great resource. I mean, there's not much of that around. So yeah, if you are yeah, in the Tucson area, definitely. Yeah. And thanks, um, Sean, for letting me answer that. that question. Kind of take that one. Yeah, and just as another note when we're talking about and it was mentioned before the distrust or disdain for certain groups i don't like the term homophobia because it's not what that means but when it comes to an irrational perspective towards people it's a lot more common than we think and i don't mean that all oh, everything's racist and stuff no when people develop emotional prejudice towards any other group i mentioned talking to norse pagans who by the way publicly in the debate, we're talking about exterminating Jews ethnically. The idea of distrusting a particular group because of prior experiences is when you have to consider the fact that my emotions are responding to past trauma. And just like when Peter Martin was with us and he was talking about post-traumatic stress in combat, going through legitimate trauma is something that needs to be addressed and dealt with. When it isn't, that's when we start to associate it with not the event that happened, but events, or in this case, individuals that we associate with that trauma, and it keeps coming up and up and up. So as you're bringing this to the Lord, and you can read his book, uh, Rooted in Sin, Rescued by Love, by Peter Martin, available on Amazon, and I believe other places too, correct? Um, yeah, it's, it's at betterpleasure.net. Yeah. Yep, you can go to betterpleasure.net to get that too. But walk through his... Uh, perspective with this kind of struggle in mind. While it may not necessarily be combat trauma, you can talk about your experiences with ethnic groups, experiences with deviant sexual groups and individuals that are being seen as less than human because of this prior experience. And the best way to get over a phobia, not disagreeing with their lifestyle, that's different, but the idea of just seeing them as associated with, therefore, the cause of these past experiences and abuses. The best way to see people as people is to go back to the one who made them and allow him to be the eyes you see them through, which was Bo's first point, and I want to make sure that we understand that. But it's the same mindset in any tribal group. The best way to love a Democrat, the best way mm -hmm. to love a Republican Trump supporter, the best way to love a, uh, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, hillbilly hick, and the best way to love a city boy is to understand common creation, to disassociate emotion and experience from the individual, and to understand that these things are going to require time. 
that's not oftentimes something we think we're willing to give to the Lord, but as long as you are willing to take those steps, you'd be surprised how quickly that switch gets flipped over time the next chance you get. Mm, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for that question. Yeah, that good question. helps you out with that, brings you some peace as you seek the Lord in that. A uh, question from uh, Ina. I saw a movie about Joshua and Jericho and a cartoon with Joshua and Jericho with my children, and I had a question. Was Boaz already born? It shows uh, Rahab with a young son in each movie, and I was wondering why Rahab is portrayed this way. Was Rahab a slave? How did she get to Jericho? Unless Boaz was 400 years old um, at the time that he met Ruth, no, he would not have been born at that time. Uh, if you want to know the relationship or association, go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and the family history of Jesus mentions three women ex uh, specifically, which was unheard of in a Jewish genealogy, but these intentional Old Testament references are to emphasize fulfilled promises that were made there. Uh, Ruth was in the Messianic line, go figure. It was, she was uh, married to a nice young Hebrew boy by the name of uh, Salmon, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, the funny thing was, when <laughs> I, I don't know Salmon, but I guess they like fish. When it comes to the association with the Hebrew people, the reason she was involved at all is in chapter 2. She was, like everyone else in Canaan, a Canaanite, that's, that's what we're told about her ethnically, um, they were aware of what God had told to Abraham in Genesis 15, which would have predated her lifetime by around 600 years or so. And what's interesting about that is that by the time Israel had left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, started displacing the Canaanites that had been warned 600 years prior, and they started to get judged as a result of this army, Rahab, along with everyone else in the city of Jericho, as well as all the land of Canaan, understood. You're here for this reason. We knew that this would result in judgment. We know the covenant name of the God you worship and that Abraham was teaching them. We even had people who were worshiping him in our midst, like Melchizedek. But as you can see, his descendants, like Adonizedek, did not... Uh, I guess, stay too close to the tree when they fell. So when we are talking about her affiliation with the people of God, it wasn't as if she was a Jew and then got captured by the Canaanites or something. No, she was thoroughly Canaan and what's pagan as well. And what's interesting about this too is that uh, her family lived in the city and they were close enough in association with her that the part of the wall that contained her home so she was a homeowner, or at least had a family home, uh, placed in the wall. When the walls fell, that section of the wall did not fall, showing that God keeps his promises, and that as any of the captives of war, she would have been treated in accordance with Exodus 21. What did that mean? Well, that didn't mean that you took her out back and had your way with her like everyone else on the planet. It meant that you were to treat her as a wife, period. Uh, they would have to clip off their nails, cut their hair, and basically take away everything that would make them attractive, the guy would take another look and then allow her a mourning period for her family. In this case, she wouldn't have to mourn long. They were all still alive. But this was the law of captives. If you were to take a woman from a war, you were to give her all the same rights as a wife. And if you couldn't, then you were to set her free, no questions. Now, here's what's interesting about that as well. When Rahab married into this line, it was not only because the rest of her 
city had just been destroyed. She didn't have much where else to go. But her willingness to trust in the smallest of details, God's ability to protect her and her family, just because she asked, did not come because she was such an upstanding citizen. In the book of Hebrews, it notes that she was willing to hide the spies that were returning to Joshua before her uh, city could exterminate them because they, well, they knew why they were there. Now, why do I make that point of emphasis, Bo, on her not being a moral example, thus worthy of being the great, 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 and so forth, grandma of Jesus of Nazareth? the reason why she was welcomed into the biological family of God wasn't just because she asked, and it wasn't certainly just because she was happened to be there predestined. She was a prostitute. Yeah. She was not only a pagan citizen, so outside of the people of God, she was not only a part of a nation that was in the midst of being judged, so a condemned enemy of God, Mm. she was in a place that was in direct opposition to the people of God, but simply because she asked, God, by grace, right. gave her a calling that was almost as singular as Mary herself. Mm-hmm. And I'm referring to the biological mother of Jesus. So when we're talking about Rahab's, you know, uh, all the ins and outs of her situation, um, again, she wasn't brought back into the family of God because she was captured from at some point. Joshua, too, lays it out for us. She was a mess. But like everyone else that's welcome to the family of God, she's in good company. We're among them. Mm, that's good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I won't, I won't <laughs> say anything more it. to that one. <laughs> no, no it's, it's good. I think it's great to look at the genealogy, too, to, to find out where people are at. Um, we, ha- you know, we have that genealogy in the book of Matthew. That's great. So you can kind of map out and say, hey, you know... Um, you know, compare it to what you're watching, because uh, it sounds like she's watching a kid's show, yeah. right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah it sounds like right. she's watching a kid's show, and and it's about, it's about, uh, it was about Joshua, yep. right? And then about the time of Jericho, yeah. and then you have, it says Ruth, she said Ruth, right? Yeah. Not Rahab, but right. she Boaz, said, she um, said Boaz and Ruth. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, no, Rahab. Oh, Rahab. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to Ruth in a minute. Rahab. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. So she was talking about Rahab's in there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if it's a kid's show, they may water it down a bit. Or... All right, kids, <laughs> this is what we call a lady of the night. And oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. she, her <laughs> solicitations of the soldiers you, I, made them. I thought you said she was watching a show on Jericho. Yeah. And she, yeah, Josh and, she and, Jericho. Saw, and she saw Boaz. Yeah, that's why yeah. I said 400 years. So. Boaz was Boaz already born. It shows Rahab with a young son in each movie. Yeah, I wonder why Rahab portrayed this way. Lazy yeah. writing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Artistic license there. But. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for that question. I hope that helps clear some of that up for you. Uh, question from Yari. How was Ruth's first husband killed? That's a verb. Um, he died. He wasn't killed. Uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth 1 and verse 5. Then Mahlon and Killian also died. And so the woman who survived her and her two sons and her husband. That's all we're told. 
they physically died. So they just whether, died, okay. Whether they were sick, whether they, you know, got caught up in a nearby military raid, which was common during the time of the judges, whether they were just wrong place, wrong time, got mauled by an animal, whether they cooked <laughs> the dinner wrong, whether they were drinking water and it happened to have uh, squiggle tails in it. We don't know. <laughs> it, You're definitely speculating that. Yeah, it's the ancient world, man. It's, Weird stuff happens. Death happens. You, you look at uh, a bit of a, the darker side of YouTube and you see that weird stuff still happens. It just has different names attached to it. But the point being made is we aren't told, so we won't okay. go beyond that. So nothing remarkable about, about it. Yeah, just Naomi's bum reaction and renaming herself. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks, Yari. Thanks for being part of the show and your question today. We have one from Mac D, another regular of ours. Why did Lot's wife turn into a pillar of salt did she disobey by turning back so what does she do that god told her don't do this or that or the angels rather uh told her don't do this or that'll happen she did and that happened it's not much else to say yeah what, what was the question disobedience i'm Why? still stuck on the rahab question <laughs> we're yeah. moving on Bob. Uh, still stuck we are on moving the, on yeah well i was reading in my my text notes and it says since quite a long time because if you look at if you look at the the genealogy of matthew yeah this is why it's confusing because in in the genealogy it says salmon the father of boaz right they got whose mother was rahab yeah and the genealogies aren't obviously one after the other it knows right. 14 generations each after the that's other. right okay so that's that's why that's 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 the point right there <laughs> yeah it wasn't that's the kicker one 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 <laughs> yeah. it was okay these are significant names that you're going to recognize these are significant names and there's a jump right okay, okay and that's okay. that right. was maybe what i missed in our conversation gotcha. i was like wait a minute yeah what's going on <laughs> okay cool. all right okay what was now where we're at can we move on now fast you, forward are you okay are you yeah. comfortable yeah <laughs> Um, it was about Lot's wife, MacD asked. Why did Lot's wife turn into a pillar of salt? Did she disobey by turning back? What was the reason she was... Yeah. She got I, salty. You know, I think there, there's a New Testament um, passage that kind of talks about this. It says, we are not of those who um, um, like draw shrink, back. draw back, uh, but we are, the, are of those who um, basically press forward in Christ. I mean, it's the idea. Mm. Um you know, and I, it, 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 uh, Lot's wife is a great example of those who draw back, of uh, those who, you know, I think it's in the book of Hebrews, actually, maybe mm -hmm. where that's at, is we're not of those who draw back, but we're those who press forward to the yeah. Messiah, to the call. You know, in the book of Hebrews, when it says that we're not of those who draw back, the whole point of it is that we're, we're not of those who are going backwards, we're those who are in Christ moving forward mm -hmm. to the kingdom of Christ. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Lot's wife just wasn't about that. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a great picture of, of, of longing for the temporal and not looking to the eternal, mm -hmm. you know. And we can fall into that, uh, obviously, uh, a little bit in our world too, right? Yep. Where we look too much to the temporal and not to the eternal. Yeah. And so um, we are not of those who draw back, but we're those who move forward in Messiah, in Christ. Right. Um, Paul says it in other ways, too. 
in his writings he says um you know uh looking uh what is it looking forward uh no longer um i do not uh, i forget what what is not it? consider myself apprehended nor to have obtained but pressing towards the goal of the upward call in christ right. this one thing i do yeah it might be philippians where that's philippians at. 3 yeah. yeah philippians 3 and but that moving forward to the upward call in christ again that another kind of opposite of Lot's wife, right? Yeah. Of looking at the temporal, ugh, you know, yeah. instead of moving forward. And this is a real challenge to us in our day right now. Mm. You know, it's a really, I think for, it's really uh, going to show the Christian who's the, or the people who the Christian is and who's not, yeah. the one who really looks to the eternal right. and not to the temporal. Yeah. There's some really brutal um you know biblical examples that you read like that and um ananias and sapphira right that yeah didn't, sure didn't you know give properly and you know and yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. like whoa yeah. like i've done worse than that <laughs> yeah. you know, um yeah you haven't seen miracles though <laughs> yeah, yeah ananias true. and sapphira <clears throat> i mean they're there, I mean, there's a debate in there of whether they really know the Lord or not, mm. and, and whether they just judged because of their disobedience, you yeah. know, in the early church. But they still, you know, were saved, but just judged, right. you know. And and I'm of that school. Yeah, and the Lord certainly can do that, yeah. you know, to 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 us. He can mm. discipline us however He wants, yep. you know. And uh, in that context of Ananias and Sapphira. Man, it was a serious time, and wow, and uh, you know, and uh, there was some judgment on them. Uh, yeah, but there is that holding on to the temporal. I see what you're saying, holding mm. on to the financial. You know, where Lot's wife, you know, longed for so uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you think you'd like, oh man, I ain't looking. You know, you leave in Vegas, you're like, I ain't looking back. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't want to look back. Yeah, you know. What's happens in vegas stays in yeah totally man <laughs> it's like but you know it's just like gosh that was a mess yeah you know and you would like to think that her heart was like that you know where it was like man that place is a mess i don't want to look back but but she does yep. you know she's longing for it right mm. yeah the idea of her turning around it's not as if like oh, a quick glance and then she got salinized the idea was that she literally turned around she ran back and ended up in the blast zone if you mm. want the archaeological evidence we can pretty much verify how that area known as sodom and gomorrah got destroyed because you look at the dead sea and we uncover pottery there knowing there's a civilization at this crater at one point it was superheated instantaneously without shattering the pottery but enough to literally turn it to glass and the superheating of that area was just one giant lightning bolt essentially i want to say there was a new finding on sodom and gomorrah recently or something i'll um, check it i don't know yeah mm. By uh, oh, really good archaeologist. I forget his name, but uh, man. but if you want to read the account, it's in Genesis 19. They were told, "Don't do this. This is going to be destroyed. Don't even turn around." She turned around. That's what happened. So, yeah, yeah. when God warns you, take it seriously. Yeah, these yeah. angels, of course, were speaking. Trust and obey. <laughs> no other way to remain made of pepper than to no. Yeah, <laughs> not be a pillar of salt. Thank you, Mac D, for that question hope that helps you we appreciate you uh question from louise uh came in through our email address questions for hope at gmail.com i don't think we've got to this uh, before so uh louise asks i just caught the broadcast from 15th of january 
And in it, you mentioned that God had unrest in his spirit. How is that possible? God is all-knowing and nothing catches him off guard, nor surprises him. I would love for you to help me understand your statement. Yeah, yeah I'm, trying so to th- I'm trying to think of the passage. Yeah. Um, and those things in the Bible, like God, you know, God grieved, he regretted, da-da-da, things like that. Having oh. an emotional reaction is not a question of omniscience any more than you rewatching your favorite movie somehow means that you forgot what you saw. The fact that God's grieved or God's uneasy or God's, you know, even angry at things that he knew were going to happen just means that he cares. It doesn't mean he doesn't know. For us to assume, well, the only way you would react to something is if you didn't know. See, if I knew everything, I wouldn't care about anything. Well, great, you're a sociopath, but God's not like that. Yeah, and, and and another, and I like that God's not a sociopath. I like how <laughs> blunt you are sometimes, Sean. It's, a, it's great. What's your, what's your scripture on that? <laughs> yeah, totally. But you know what's great about that too is um, is that the Bible speaks of God, um, that the God of the Bible is very unique um, in that God is a spirit, God is uh, a person, mm. and um, God has emotion Hmm. and within all of god's qualities the number one uh, if you will character of god that makes him god or above anything or different from anything is his holiness everything's tempered by his holiness and so it, it's unique because because the God of the Bible is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so sometimes when we go, I don't. How can God have that kind of emotion? You know, well sometimes we're thinking of God almost like a kind of like a robot. You know, yeah. or kind of you know what I mean, yep. like this mechanical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not the God of the Bible. Yeah. Um, the God of a Bible is. Uh, has emotion, can grieve. Yep. Um, the, it says the Bible year, uh, that God yearns jealousy. Mm. He yearns for us. Yeah. You know, so God so loved the world that he sent his only son, just as a father yearns that his children come back, you know, yep. right? Yeah. It's like we're not, we're not in this kind of indifferent attitude like oh what our kids aren't doing good oh that well i gotta go to the store <laughs> you know? Yeah. i know like, they'll come back in exactly 462 <laughs> hours so whatever right no it's like um you know uh even though on this planet we uh fathers know so much about our kids and we still yearn we still grieve mm-hmm. uh um all kinds of things, and and God very much has a unique ability to be able to uh, have these emotions, but they're all tempered by His holiness. Right. That's the difference yep. between us who are made in His image and likeness. Yep. So we get to bear the image of God right. and His these kind of emotions and these kind of abilities, but unfortunately, we don't walk in holiness a lot of times right. with these you right. know yeah even so, his anger he's holy 
anger and wrath and a holy jealousy even yeah you, know, you think of jealousy as being a negative thing but he is he is a jealous god but the holy version yeah of a desire it, right. for exclusivity yeah and i think i think yeah. too the question which just, he deserves yeah and the question too kind of make uh is almost like the person who's a- asking the question is maybe thinking of god more like a deist would think of god that meaning uh, that god's out there but he's not really a personable god yeah. he's not a personable personable being and that's just not the god of the bible the bible says that god created and he also is passionately involved in his creation mm. and so um you see those emotions um with the deity yeah and it was question two about his sovereignty um it was louise mm. yeah you know god god is all-knowing nothing catches him off guard mm-hmm. so why would he be why would he have unrest? You know, why would he? Um, I mean, I even think of Jesus, you know, weeping, and yeah. crying, but um, but being. But that's the yeah, that's the uniqueness though of God. Yeah, is God could be outside of time, everywhere within time, and at a, on a dot, meaning at a specific point within yeah. His creation, right? All at the same time, <laughs> and still care, and still care. That's right. <laughs> and chew gum. Same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it, the God of the Bible is very unique like that. Mm-hmm. It's that's why the God of the Bible is amazing. Yeah. Because God can, you know, have these qualities of having omniscience, yep. all knowing, being sovereign, being outside of time, knowing everything, yep. also being on a dot within on the earth. Right. And present, go present, present with it. Yeah. Present within it. In the moment. In the moment. That's right. Yeah. And so it's very, very unique. Yeah. But it, it, it gives us an opportunity to relate to God. Right. Where we can relate to the deity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we have that in the person of Jesus. Yeah. You know? God with God with skin on. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And that's what Jesus has come to do is reveal the Father. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, great question, Louise. Thank you. Hope hope that helps you out and clears that up a bit for you. Question from Judy. Uh, if a person doesn't repent before they die and say they lived a sinful lifestyle of, of drinking and stopped drinking two weeks before they died and recognize that Jesus is God, will God forgive them and let them enter heaven or will they be sent to hell because they didn't repent? Also, is it necessary to say the salvation prayer to be saved? Your insight and wisdom will be greatly appreciated. Um, they did want a response through email, but we'll do it on the show and then maybe send you the video clip or something like that. But that's a question from Judy. So what does salvation look like really? That's what it comes down to. How does our repentance, you know, a, a kind of a deathbed re- repentance yeah. or confession or how does that all work? I mean, I'm thinking of the thief on the cross as far as like deathbed kind of conversions go, you know. Um, you know, the thief on the cross didn't say much to Jesus. Um, so if we look at the gospel accounts and we look at when Jesus was on the cross, you know, the thief on the cross just said, um, you know, where you are, Jesus, or, you know, where you're going, I want to go. I want to be with you. And what does he call him? Lord. That's important. Yeah, and he calls him Lord. So he he uses the name of understanding who Jesus is, that he's not just some great rabbi, but he is Lord. And uh, so he knows who Jesus has claimed to be, and he put he trusts in him at that moment. And Jesus said, "Today you will be with me in paradise." So, is there such a thing as a deathbed conversion? Absolutely, mm. you yeah. certainly can come to the Lord. Yeah, as far as 
odd example. The person doesn't repent. Uh, repent, uh, the Greek word metanoia, just means to turn around. It was a military order. When we use it in a moral sense, it's usually best articulated as a change of mind, resulting in a change of heart, resulting in a change of life. We usually only look at the third aspect and think that that's what results into salvation, and people have some passages they can twist to support it. Acts chapter 2, Peter says, repent and believe the gospel, and they would equate the two. When we're talking to people about this topic, obviously the first and most stable source of security people get is in their own good behavior to get parole. That's not the way God does anything. Like we were talking about with Ruth, like we're talking about with our perspectives and tribalism and everything else that that entails, we can't get beyond our funk. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 says, apart from a direct work of God on our hearts, no one calls Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's what the passage says. So if I look at examples of someone calling Jesus Lord, do I just have to audibly say, Jesus Lord? in that order, maybe with a conjunctive <laughs> verb in between. Now, when we're talking about it, we're just coming to Jesus on his terms. In John chapter 6 and verse 28, the audiences that were following him asked, what we may do, what may we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. In Romans right. chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, we confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, literally Jehovah, Yahweh, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, how he proved it, you will be saved. And then goes on to quote Joel chapter 2 to note this was God's way of doing it, Old and New Testament. So here's the point. When we're talking about getting saved, it's not about stopping the bad stuff. It's getting back to the good one. That's all that we ever could do, and even then, God needs to do it in our hearts. Today's the day of salvation. If you feel him uh, recognizing that fact, then don't delay it because it's not promised to you every day, but it is given to us as a gift in a moment and a gift that will last forever. That's it. Great. Bo, thank you. Yeah. Sean, thank you. We're out of time for today, but we'll be back again tomorrow, same time, same place. And we have our evening service tomorrow night as well. So we'll see you then. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your night.